for your hand now. <laughs> okay. So, yes, Father, thank you. We've, we're on the last session, Lord, and you kept us awake pretty much. And um, so we thank you for that. And um, I, I want to praise you, Lord. I, I think that um, well, I don't have any words, really, to say um, yeah, how much I love you, how much we love you. And we know that that only happened because you first loved us and that you showed us what love is, really. And... Um, and so I pray, Lord, that um, everything that I read and everything I hear and everything, all the conversations we have and all the connections that are made here, that you will use them for your glory and that um, you will help us to see that your glory is the absolute best thing for us. And, um, yeah, so I thank you, Lord, for what you have done again and I know that you will, are going to do more in this last session. And I thank you because you are a faithful, unchanging God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, yeah, Desiring Truth, as you know, is a ministry that is, uh, I think, was raised up for the, by the Lord. I don't want to say I think or I feel because I know it was raised up by the Lord. And uh, our vision is to... Um, is for uh, believers to grow in their relationship with God through his word. Um, that's what discipleship is. It's, it's the enabling of a growing uh, relationship with the Lord through discipleship in the Word of God. And uh, in, included in that discipleship is regular, meaningful conversation with God, which we call prayer. So, you know, to have a relationship, you need to uh, hit listen and you need to talk. And that's what uh, this ministry is about. It's about helping us to listen to God and then talk back to him so that we grow in our relationship with him. And what I know will happen when we grow in that relationship is that we will effectively evangelize um, everywhere because our relationship with God will just be a growing, maturing relationship which will show in our conversation, in the choices we make, in the places we go, in, or in every way in what we decide to do with our life and everything. So that's the vision of Desiring Truth. And, and as, uh, God, as we do that, as we use the basic things that God has given us, actually, I mean, it, you know, if, I had, if we've already said, what does God want us to do? He wants us to tell everybody about him. And he wants us to do that by speaking his word. And we can't do that unless we pray. And as we pray, he enables it, and so we begin to evangelize. So, um, and as we do that, we are changed. And I mean, uh, Desiring Truth has been going eight years in its, uh, as a ministry in, in and of itself, and, and we have changed in that time. We have. We love better. We serve better. We're more passionate for the Lord. We pray better. Everything's better because God's done it. And so um, if you want to be a part of this ministry in any way, if you're not already a part of it, if you want to be a part of it, then take it from me. That is, you'll get sort of, yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Put your toe in this water and lose a leg. No, well, you know, that's supposed to be good. <laughs> so uh, we need people to um, become a part of this ministry um, because God is doing amazing things in our day. And... Um, and so if you want to be a part of it, please let us know. So 
first of all, um, we talked about that God makes leaders and he makes them by calling us to himself. And the, f- the first thing we've, well, the thing we've been predominantly talking about is, is why God calls us to himself and how that looks. But the second thing is that um, people start to recognize in you the work of God, and they recognize it in sort of two ways. One, in your character. Your character changes because God's spirit is working in your soul and your character is being formed into the character of Christ. And the second way is in the giftings of the Holy Spirit that they see in you as a believer. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit gifts, everybody knows about that, the, the spiritual gifts, talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 and a couple of other places. Um, but the, first, the gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7, talk about the fact that... Um, well, why don't I read it? 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the reason for the gifts is the common good of the church. The gifts are predominantly for use within the church. Evangelism, I suppose, is a gift that would be used outside, but spiritual gifts are for use within the body of Christ, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the gifts that, that God uh, uses or gives you and in, in, uh, that are manifesting through you will be for the benefit of the church as a whole. Now, we have a lot of... I talked about this a little while ago. There's a lot of misconception, I think, about spiritual gifts. We have this idea that the Holy Spirit moves in with a suitcase. And he sits down in the living room. He opens up the case and he says, Right, Laura, mm, I think I'll give her teaching. So he takes out the gift and he gives it to her and he sits down and falls asleep. And now you're supposed to go off and teach. That's how we think of gifts. You know, oh, I've got the gift of whatever, you know, like, it's wonderful. Don't know how to use it, but I've got that gift. But the reality is that it's the Holy Spirit manifesting Himself through you. So it's not you with the gift; it's Him using Him, doing His work through you. If you think about it in that way, the more you allow the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the more He will be able to manifest those things through you. So He will be healing through you. He will be speaking through you. He will be teaching through you. He'll be helping through you. He'll be showing mercy through you. He's not going to give you a gift and then say, go and use it. It's like, you know, you give your kids a football and say, right, go and play for Chelsea. You know, they can't... Is that... I can see you don't like soccer much in here, right? So you don't get the analogy. Right. Well, I can't think of anything else. Okay, but... So, hey, thank you, Ed. I wish you'd sat in the front the whole time. Um, Yeah, so this is the reality of it, that the more we surrender to the Lord, the more we surrender to the Spirit, the more he can manifest himself through us, the better the state of the church. That's it. And he will uh, use you in different ministries. The word ministry just means area of service. No, no great shakes. A ministry is an area of service. So the more you submit to the Lord, the more you surrender to him, the more he will use you. 
And um, the more the, the church will be built up by you. It's a very simple thing. Why would God want it that way? Because he wants the church strong. He wants the church vibrant. He wants the body of Christ to look like Jesus. And um, so that's why he does it. But the thing is, in all of that, character is far more important than the gifts. But you see, we don't want it that way. We want the gifts to be more important than the character. See, the devil can imitate every spiritual gift that is available in the church. The only thing that Satan can't imitate is holiness. Because holiness is only from God. So your character that is being formed as the Holy Spirit is having his way in you is a character that will produce holiness in you. You will start to look holy, be holy. And only God could do that. Satan cannot imitate holiness. So he can, he can heal, he can speak, he can teach, he can do all of those things. There's not one spiritual gift that the, the, the enemy can't imitate. But he cannot be holy. He can't look holy. So that's why character is so much more important. Because character is the thing that God is building in you. He is building you, transforming your uh, humanness into the character of Jesus Christ. And the more you give over to him, the more that that will happen. And the way that you give over to him is what we saw in Matthew. You pick up your cross, deny yourself, and walk with Jesus. It's simple. Just hard to do. Simple to know and hard to do. So... um, One of the things that I wanted to finish with now, or there's a lot of things actually, but but a series of things. Um, In order for God to use you uh, and to make you a leader, for you to be a leader and influencer of other people, then uh, you and I must be constantly learning and constantly surrendering to the Lord. There is no point in your human life where God will say, oh, she knows enough, he knows enough. Your character is continuously being transformed, actually being formed within you. And God will go on and on and on with that. He will use the gifts of the Spirit in you and from other people towards you to form your character into a fitting representative of Jesus. The whole Bible, walk worthy of your calling. We are ambassadors for Jesus. We represent him. All of those over and over and over again. Be a worthy workman. No soldier in active duty entangles himself in everyday affairs. All these examples in scripture to say, be like Jesus. Surrender to Christ. So that sort of thing costs. It costs to be continually learning. Because that means you've got to give up time to do it. That means instead of putting your computer or your phone on in the morning, you have to pick up your Bible. That means instead of watching TV, you have to pray. That means when you get home from a long day and all you want to do is put your feet up and you know kick the cat, you have to be kind. Sorry, I know you like cats, don't you? It's okay. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, cat lovers out there. I, oh, sorry, Juliet. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm just not an animal person. I'm really sorry. But anyway, so do you know what I mean? You have to actually, it costs to be this type of person. It costs to be someone that God can use. 
because you're going to have to make choices all the time. Choices that you perhaps don't want to make, but choices that you make because you believe that God is doing a wonderful thing in you and through you. So that's that. So I wanted to go through just the way that some of those, the way that that will look in your life, perhaps. And the first thing is, uh, being, I'm going to call it leadership, but what I mean by that is being someone who has an influence on other people, that God uses to influence other people, means that you can stand alone because you know that God has established you. So in Jeremiah, Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, which we looked at, um, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. You have to know that God knows who you are, and he doesn't make a mistake. He is making you into something, someone, that will be effective in the kingdom of God. That he has a purpose for your life, and he has consecrated you, separated you, separated you for that purpose. And it's not that everybody else has a purpose and you're just going with the flow. You have a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. And that's not to build you up. That's to build God up. There's no one in this room that God doesn't know and that he hasn't specifically appointed for a particular role in the body of Christ. You have a role. And if, if you're hearing anything from the enemy that says, not you, you're useless, not you, you don't know enough. Not you, you're too old. Not you, you're too young. Not you, you're a woman. Not you, you're a man. Not you. If you're hearing that, you are listening to lies. The whole Bible says God knew you before you were born. He formed you in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he has a purpose for your life. And actually, that should result in you saying, oh God, you must be amazing. That doesn't result in you saying, wow, how amazing I am. That just results in just absolute, wow, how amazing that God would actually do that with me. So that's the first thing. You must be able to stand on the knowledge that God has established and is establishing you in the role he has for you and is preparing you to be able to influence other people. Um, so you see, in, in order to know that specifically, you have to believe that God called you. He called you. You remember, I mean, you do remember Noah. He had to build the ark. He spent 120 years building a boat and they'd never seen rain. I mean, just think about that. 120 years to build a boat, an ark, and no one had ever seen rain. In the middle of the, you know, the desert. Can you imagine what people said to him? He had to know that he knew that he knew that he knew that God had called him to do that. So what has God called you to? Generally, he's called you to tell other people about Jesus. That is a no-brainer. That's what he wants all of us to do. He wants when you go on a train or you go to the supermarket or you talk to your friends or your family, he wants you to talk about Jesus. 
He doesn't want you to talk about it in a way that's threatening or he doesn't want you to tell them all the details of scripture. He doesn't want you to tell them what hell will be like. He doesn't want you to tell them any of that. He wants you to tell them, wow, I've met Jesus and he is so wonderful. I know the love of God for me and I know the love of God for you because I know the God who is love. That's what he wants us to share. He wants you to share that. That is, as I say, a no-brainer. And then there'll be something more specific. There'll be an area of service, an area of ministry that will fit you like a glove. And you will just love doing it and being that person. And you will find that other people, no matter what that ministry is and no matter what that role is in the body of Christ, there will be other people who look at you and think, oh, I I think I'd like to do that. I think I'd like to be involved in that. And in that way, you will start discipling other people into this life with God. Okay, and you must trust God underneath this establishing, believing that he's established you and will establish you. You must know that he's called you, that he, called, he, he knows who you are, that he cares about you, that there's no mistake, and you must trust him. You must trust him because you will find yourself often in difficult situations. And unless you know that God is God, you will go running for the hills. Isaiah 41, verse 10. um, She says, uh, Do not be afraid. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I think that's it. 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You have to be convinced, or you have to know that God says that to you. He says that to you. Um, Many times you're going to have to walk without knowing the, the end of the road. You're going to have to take the next step in front of you, not knowing where that's going. Because, but knowing that God has established you, he is establishing you, you can trust him, and um, you needn't be afraid. I mean, Hebrews 11 is, is littered with people's names, and not names. The whole chapter, the hall of faith, they call it, don't they? All these people named in there who went out, not knowing where they were going. That's what Abraham went. He went out by faith. Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going. He knew the next step, but that's all. That's all. You should be grateful that God doesn't show you the whole road, because you would never leave home. (laughs) You would never move. That's why he just shows you the next step. Okay, so number two, um, those that God uses in leadership, those he is making into leaders, those who influence others, delegate wherever they can. Wherever they can, they involve other people in the ministry or in the role. Um, at Moses, you see, he, didn't, he wasn't doing that at first and he was getting bogged down with all the things that the people, the Israelites, were bringing to him. And it took his father-in-law, who wasn't an Israelite, to say, I think you should set up a panel of people to help you with this. And so he did that. Um, we have this... Um, You know, we think that, uh, what is it, the saying, if you want something done right, you better do it yourself? That's rubbish. That's absolute rubbish. That shouldn't exist inside the church. God has gifted everybody. 
good. Yeah, go on. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Definitely, definitely. And um, actually, that's one of the points that we're going to come up. But one of the whole points of God making you into a leader so that you can influence other people is so that you can help them help the work of God in them for them to be leading other people. So. This is not like I'm the leader and no one else is. This is like, okay, how many leaders can we get in the room? The more, the merrier. So delegation, you must delegate. Um, yeah, leader, people God uses, they always delegate. Um, number three, uh, people God uses to lead will always be tested and challenged. You will always be tested and challenged. Uh, who does the testing? God, Satan, the world. And definitely other Christians. Oh my goodness. They will test the hardest. Often. Other Christians. Um, Moses was continually tested by the Israelites. Everywhere they went, they were grumbling because it wasn't what it should be. If you're around people who are constantly and consistently grumbling about other believers, other Christians, you know they have a problem in their relationship with God. We are supposed to encourage one another, build one another up. Um, I can't think of other words for it, but you you get the message. We are supposed to be encouraging one another. We are not supposed to be criticizing each other and knocking each other down. You know, no one has perfect theology. No one gets everything right. No one does the right thing all the time, only Jesus. There's no perfect Christian. There's no good Christian. There's only a good Christ. So all of us are fallible. We all make mistakes. We all do the wrong thing. I'm not talking about sin now because we all sin too, but I'm talking just about general life. And usually if you see something in someone else that just drives you bananas, that's because that's what's in you. Because they're striking something in you that is something that God wants to get rid of. So, really, um, you'll be tested and you'll be challenged. Um, and, um, and that's not going to stop. Because that's one of the ways that God refines us. Number four, uh, you will face seemingly insurmountable hurdles. But you will still overcome So it will appear that these things are just impossible to get around or manoeuvre around, but you will overcome. Um, Tests and trials will come your way. Satan will come against you. Situations and circumstances will be impossible. People will be impossible. But God, but God, he never fails. Um, And Christian leadership is not passive, You don't just wait for God to swoop in and fix it all. God works through you. So we don't just sit back and let God. I mean, I I hear that all the time. Just let go and let God. I mean, that's just nonsense. Honestly, I'm sorry, it's nonsense. Because God works through us. I I understand the sentiment behind it, but it has become, well, we don't have to do anything because God will do it all. You don't have to work at your sanctification because God is going to sanctify you. 
Well, the devil will have a field day with that one. Exactly. There you go. I haven't heard that one. So, yeah, there you go. Exactly. We are involved in our sanctification. We are involved in our life with God, and God wants it that way. So we are not passive. We're not just receiving all the time from God. What's happening is we are being used by God, and we have to put effort in, and we're going to get tired, and it's going to be challenging, and all of those things. And people will come up to you, and they'll say, you shouldn't be tired if you're doing the Lord's work. It should be easy. You should just be, you know, lifted up in your spirit. You know what to say to that. So, um, yes, we're going to face opposition all the time. We're going to face all sorts of opposition, but we are always going to handle it. Well, we're going to attempt to always handle it in the way Christ did. How did Christ handle opposition? Graciously and... Yes, silence sometimes. He faced opposition with grace and truth. Grace and truth. Why? Because he was full of grace and truth. So we'll face opposition in the same way, with grace and truth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, no, there you go. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay, number five. Um, oh, no, that was number five, wasn't it? Oh, it looks like I'm saying this. Okay. I've got two that look very similar. Leaders will face seemingly insurmountable hurdles, which I've just said. And this uh, will face desperately difficult situations, but still overcome. And I've got in mind, I'm, I'm, I went through Exodus for these. Uh, if you go through Exodus and Moses leading the people, you see all of these examples. So... Um, in Exodus, they arrive at Marah, where the waters are bitter, and the uh, Israelites complain again, and Moses puts his staff in the water, and the water is changed to sweet water, and they're okay again. Um, am I, uh, have I been cut off? thought it might be the rapture. It's gone up, and you were all here. <laughs> I'm only kidding. So, so terrible to say those things. So... Um, yeah, so he puts the, the staff into the water, which is a picture of obviously the cross of Christ making the bittersweet. Um, and that's how we're supposed to respond to difficult situations and difficult people. We're supposed to remember we're dead. You died with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And the life you live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. Galatians 2, that is Galatians 2.20. How do I do that? How do you live that way, really? How do you live that way? Because it sounds like just impossible. How do you live that way? You pray. <laughs> you pray. And that's my next point. People that are used by God in leadership to lead other people and influence other people pray unceasingly. They pray all the time because they can't do it otherwise. They pray all the time. If you want to have an influence in people's lives, if you want to be used by God in a, in a way that will help other people, then you have to be praying all the time. Because you won't know it naturally, it won't come naturally, and uh, you can't do it in your own strength, and so you will need to know, where should I go, Lord? What should I do? How should I do it? What should I say? Who should I say it to? All those things. Um, number seven... 
people that God uses to lead and influence other people cannot, are not able to carry the burden they're given. You are not able to do that. It is too big for you and too heavy. You are not able to, to carry the weight of what we're being asked to do. Why do you think that is? Because then we will do what Jesus told us to do. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. So it's giving this burden to God. He will give us a burden that is impossible. I, the, the statement that we have that God won't give us anything that is too much for us to bear, that's a lie. That's a lie. God will give you things that are too much for you to bear so that you give them to him. So that you understand you cannot carry the burdens of this life. They're too heavy. And that's deliberate so that we hand them over to God. The, 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 where that comes from is that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, which I quoted before, no trial has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. And when you are tried or tested or tempted, he will always provide a way of escape so that you might endure it. You need the way of escape so that you can endure the trial. And the way of escape is to hand that over to the Lord. That is the way of escape that God provides for you to do so that you are able to endure the trial, the test, the temptation that has come before you. Um, um, and while you, when you do that, God will almost always send people to help you do it. Almost always he will bring people around you that can, as we said earlier, hold up your arms when you can't pray for yourself. Almost always he will do that. Um, number eight, all these people, all people that God uses to influence other people, all leaders will be criticized at some time, if not very often. But when you are criticized, what must you do? <laughs> Remember that you're dead. Yeah. Bless. Bless, yeah. And give it to God. Just give it to God. You know, this is what they're saying about me. And first of all, is that true? Is that who I am? Is that what I look like? Is that how, is that, is that, you know, you're trying to show me something, Lord? But secondly, and if the answer comes back, no, you are totally and utterly perfect, Anne. There can't be anything in that. <laughs> give it to him. Just give it to the Lord. I, I, I mean, I have to say that you're, the biggest criticism will come from within the church. That's my experience. The biggest criticism comes from within the church. I don't know why that is. But, yeah, we expect love and encouragement. Yeah, and people expect perfection. So uh, you will be criticized at some point, but you have to leave it to God to sort out. Number nine, leadership will leave you no strength and you will fall flat on your face every day before God. <laughs> Maybe not every day, but you know what I mean. You will have to continually fall before God and ask him for what you do not have. Strength. Yeah. Again, in, in Numbers, Numbers 14, 16, and 20, you have experiences of this where, where Moses, he could not do it anymore. And he just, kept, he just kept falling flat on his face before God and asking God to do what he couldn't do. Yeah, of course. I'm thinking of strength, like 
influences other people, that will involve you choosing whose glory you want, God's or your own. And that will be a continual, continuous temptation and test in front of you. It was for Moses. It probably was, well, it was for Abraham. It was for David. It was for Solomon. It was for all of those. Whose glory do you want? Um... And there'll always be opportunity to take the glory for yourself. Always. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's a tricky one, you know, because people come up to you and they'll say, Oh yeah, I just—I mean, that was amazing. Thank you so much. You know, um, yeah. And I, I heard once um, that a pastor had just—he preached this sermon, and um, someone came up to him at the end, and they said, "Oh, that was just so great. Thank you so much." You know, and um, the pastor said, "Well, you know, I've got to give all credit to God. I mean, He gave that to me." And the person said, "No, I, it wasn't that good." <laughs> You have to think about that for a while. But the thing is, you know, in all of the things we say and all of the things, the way we do it, you know, oh, glory to God, oh, praise the Lord, all of that, you know, there's a, always this little thing in there that is nagging away and wanting to take some of the credit, some of the glory. Wow, Alex, you're so in tune with the Lord when you're singing, and it's just so wonderful. You take me to this other place of worship, and Alex is thinking, wow, yeah, yeah, actually, I, I do that, don't I? I mean, I'm getting really good at this worship stuff, you know, this music. I know you don't, Alex, but you know what I mean? It's so easy for us to go into that trap. It's so easy for us to go there. And don't think that you don't do that, because you do. You do it. Because humanly, we want that. We want it. So it's a fight all the time to give the glory to God. We have to choose all the time whose glory do we want, even if that means sharing the realities of how hard that was and how, how difficult that was. And so there's, yeah, choosing whose glory you want. And then leaders number 11, leaders must choose between God and people. You can't please both. You have to please God or people. You have to make your choice. Now, a son who was driving down to the city side, and there was a cause of my mind for miles. And we broke out and started to sing it. As good as praying. Yeah, I think so, Alan. I think praying is just communication with God. I don't really think God minds how you communicate with him. It's your heart's condition, isn't it? He wants you to be thinking about him. He wants you to be remembering that he's right there, right now, with you. 
He wants, he wants us to be aware of that. That's why I pray unceasingly. Well, who could ever talk, walk, walk around talking all the time to God? You can't do that, can you? It's impossible. But it's an instruction in Scripture. So what does that mean? Why is he giving me an impossible instruction? But the, but the thing is, you can pray unceasingly if communication with God, if understanding his, his nearness and his closeness to you is where you, you, know, you want to come into that place. So when you're singing, you're understanding the nearness of God. You're reminding yourself that God is God. And yeah, I don't see any difference from that to prayer. It's, it's the same. So um, you've got to choose between God and people. Um, you know what I mean by that? We, I said it right at the beginning. We have a church that is all about loving your neighbor as yourself instead of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. If you love God first, you will inevitably love people. If you love people first, you will never love God like that. That's the thing. So we have to get that right. So you have to choose between God and people. Number 13, uh, number 12. um, If you are someone that God is building up and using to influence people, your words will bring light and life into a situation. They will never be destructive. And, um, yeah, they'll never be destructive. They'll never destroy the hearer. If God is using you to speak into another person's life, it will always be light. Light and life. Um, And if he's using you, that requires integrity. You have to be real. You have to be someone whose words can be trusted. You have to be someone who people can rely on and know. If I ask that person to pray for me and they say they will, I know they will pray. Um, Number 13, you have to be content no matter the circumstances. Oh my goodness, that's a tough one. Because I like comfort. But we have to be content no matter the circumstances. Paul will say in Philippians chapter 4, and I love the way he says it, because he says, I have learned to be content. It doesn't come naturally. You have to learn. And how do you think God will teach you? This is verse 11. Hmm? Through difficult circumstances. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, that's the thing. We rip that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, out of context. And the context is, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. So I can be content in all circumstances because it's Christ in me, enabling me. Um, Yeah. Um, And your spiritual condition is revealed in your conversation and in your behavior. That's the truth. Number 14, leaders practice humility. Um, Matthew 20, well, it's it's really all over the, uh, the, the Gospels particularly. Matthew 20, verse 26. Matthew 20, 26. Um... 
Blah, blah, blah. It's not this... Uh, well, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Um, that understanding, wow, wouldn't we? It would be amazing if we could get that understanding. A real leader is the servant of everyone. Everyone. Um, Jesus' last few days with his disciples, well, actually the last day when they had the Lord's Supper, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, um, he washed their feet before it to show them what it meant to, to be in leadership. That's what it means to be in leadership. It means to be willing to serve everybody. No matter what, any time, anywhere, anything. Uh, I don't know what number we're up, 16? 15, thank you. Leaders understand their place. People who are used by God understand their place. And that, by that place, I mean what John the Baptist said when Jesus came on the scene. John the Baptist had been fated. He had been people coming up to him, wanting to be baptized. He was just like this new, wonderful prophet. And yet when Jesus came on the scene, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's the place for us. Christ must increase and I must decrease. Um, leadership isn't about building a name for yourself. It's about building a name for Jesus. Um, leaders have confidence in the future. Romans 8, 28, Carrie, you quoted that. You said you've been speaking that to yourself. Um, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means that everything that comes into my life, I know God is working to my good. That's a big statement. Including Ed. Including Ed. Yeah. <laughs> um... And leadership, leaders equip people to become mature. We're almost at the end. And that takes consistent effort and much grace to become mature. So the whole purpose of discipleship is so that people grow up in the Lord. That's what it's for. And Of course. Well, you don't have... I mean, you just have to be one or two steps ahead. So we can all disciple people. You know, hmm? yeah, you have to be on the next page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all. Um, next one leaders aren't restricted by their limitations. The people that God uses will have limitations, but you're not going to be restricted by them. Why not? Because you have a God who can do everything. Um, don't fall into the trap of avoiding things that you are unable to do. Because that's what we do all the time. We only do what we think we're able to do. And therefore we never see what God is able to do in us and through us. Uh, the sooner you get into a place where you're not relying on your own strength, the better. The sooner you're going to see God do amazing things. So God can use people with or without natural ability and proper background. First Corinthians, remember? God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. The base things 
the despised things. God, First Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. God can and often chooses to work with very raw material. <laughs> and he empowers and enables those he chooses to work with. And he doesn't need to use people who are already popular. And if you were in the cool group at school, you're not going to be now. Get over it. So the disciples who went on and founded the church, they were fishermen and tax collectors. They weren't highly educated and they didn't have influential families. Some had strong, driven personalities, but others did not. God uses every type of person. Why is that true? You know, why do we need to understand that? Hmm? He's not a respecter of persons, yeah. He can use any of us, any of us. He's got no favourites and he will use any of us. But there's an underlying reason why he chooses the foolish and not the wise, the base and not the noble. Yeah, that's... <laughs> you do, you have a red hot line to the Lord. Um, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. That's the reality. God's power is perfected in your weakness, is completed, is shown to be what it is in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I rather boast about my weakness, that the power of God might be shown in me. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And then finally... Um, remember the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it 1 Thessalonians 5.24 what's it to do with Alan? go on then I've read it before but it's not stood out what is it? Uh, Alan just read Acts 15, 16 to 18. After these things I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So the one who calls you is faithful, he will do it, and it is absolutely imperative that you hold that truth in your head that God will do what he has promised to do in and through your life. And the thing is, when life gets difficult, 
And when you look in the mirror in the morning, see like today, it's easy, isn't it? We're all together and we can all encourage one another and turn to each other and it's wonderful. But in the morning, you've got to, look up, you've got to get up and look in the mirror. That's when the rubber hits the road. And you see yourself without makeup in my, in my case. You see yourself for who you really are in your own eyes, if you know what I mean, humanly. And everything in you will scream, God, you can't do that through me. That's impossible. So that's when we have to remind ourselves of all the things we've talked about today, that God is great and that he will do it, that he's faithful. Yeah. Sure. Mm. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Thank you. Fifteen, one to, it's fifteen. Yeah, four to eight. So, yes, yes, yeah, you said 10, you threw us all off, but it's okay, David, because we know the word, we knew it was 15, John 15, one, uh, 4 through 8, yeah, so at the end of the day then, uh, what are you going to ask God, what are you going to ask God, what are you going to say to God, are you going to say anytime, anywhere, anything? And if you can't say it now, will you take it home, write it in your book, in your notes, so that tomorrow, maybe, or the next day, or next week, you can say to the Lord, anything, anywhere, anytime. Because I know that God will use you if you do. And don't take it lightly because, you know, (laughs) he will do it. And so um, it's... um, you know, it's a thing that you need to think about before you do it. But I know that everybody will. Well, I don't really, but you know, I'm hoping you all do. So, Father, thank you that um, you call us. Thank you that you lay all this before us. Thank you that you, you do tell us, Lord, that it's not going to be easy, that, um, that we're going to face situations too difficult for us, that, um, that those you are making into leaders are, in and of themselves, incapable of doing what you call them to do. But thank you, Lord, that you are a great and holy and mighty God and that you have promised and that you are faithful and you will do it in those who are willing. So my prayer, Lord, my own prayer is, Lord God, please keep me willing to do what you 
want me to do. And, and then for everyone here, that each person here would really truly sit before you and, and be able to say anything, anywhere, anytime. Because I know, Lord, that you will raise up this mighty army of people who will be able to make a difference in the lives of those around them. So I thank you for this day, Lord. I, uh, yeah, I, I want to offer it all to you. I thank you that you are faithful to me personally. And I pray, Lord God, that uh, you are, were honored by this day and that you will continue to work in us to want to live for your glory and to know the joy, the sweet joy of the fellowship that you have brought us into, one with another and more importantly with you. And so, Lord, um, yeah, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for tomorrow before it comes. And I ask you to use tomorrow for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you play that, Ed? Ah, oh, thank you. I cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the ancient sea. By heavy stone, Messiah still and all
Oh.